it is my job as your pastor to prepare us as a people how to respond to the questions out in culture. Our culture is being uh, driven in a direction that is moving further away from biblical principles. Majority of our culture is, is secular. And we still have a responsibility to be called salt and light in this earth. In fact, the Bible says we are the pillar of truth. And that pillar is to be strong and to send a message of what is true. What I want you to know is much of the direction the culture is going into is actually going to damage a lot of lives. And it's hurting a lot of people. This isn't an us versus them issue. It's a light versus darkness. It's a life versus death scenario. And so we need to be out there helping people. Tonight's topic is abortion. What I need you to do through this entire time is understand that it's not about an opinion. It's not about politics. It's about the Word of God. And it's about having compassion for people. A number of people here have had abortions. A number of people here are trying to heal through it. We're not trying to condemn. We're trying to have a ready answer as to what we trust the Bible to say about the issue. So please, let's be sensitive and careful with our attitudes and our comments. So, first of all, how many of you have heard this Quote, my body, my choice. We're talking about the fight for abortion rights. Roe v. Wade was was overturned. It was established in 1973. And once it was overturned, we rejoiced and thought that was great. But what it really did was kick into high gear each state's rights for the issue of legal abortions. Let me say this. If you understand what women are saying... You have to have an empathy to know where they're coming from. I get it. I get the argument, my body, my choice. Consider this. If you didn't believe that this was a child yet, but if you believed it was a mass of cells or just a potential of something coming, and the state was mandating what you could or couldn't do with your body, I get it. I get why people would say, how dare the state tell me what to do with my body? And so they see that as the state or the government infiltrating personal rights. So you need to have the sense of what they're arguing for. And that's what they're talking about. I mean, if, if you had a, a wart on your back and the state government said you can't take it off, you'd be pretty upset. What do you have to do with coming into my life Tell me what I could do with my body? But the question is, is it just a mass of cells and is it your body? That's what we're going to look at. This is what an abortion is, an intentional termination of a pregnancy after conception. That's the definition of an abortion. The question then comes into play, where do people stand? 62% of Americans polled said that they think they should have the right to an abortion at any time for any reason. 
36% say there should be no abortions for any reason. 2% are kind of waving. This is based on uh, a Pew uh, poll. And so the majority of people believe they have a right to an abortion because they shouldn't have the government tell women what to do with their bodies. Here's some statistics concerning abortion. 57% of all abortions are sought after by women in their 20s. That's 57%. 31% of women in their 30s, 8% uh, between the ages of 13 and 19, and 4% in their 40s. So the bulk of most abortions are between age 20 and 30, mostly 20-year-olds. How it breaks down with ethnicity, 39% of all abortions are black women, 33% white women, 21% Hispanic, and 7% other ethnicities. It's spread out mainly in young people. And where do we hear the most hostile uh, arguments for the right for an abortion is that college age in that 20 to 30 year range. And again, my body, my choice. But here's the question. Is what is within the woman a human being? And the second one, is what's in the woman your body? And we're going to take a look at these two questions, okay? Because those two points really help us understand what we're looking at and what we're trying to, uh, to understand. I'm going to give you three witnesses tonight. One is science. What does biology say? Is this a human being in the womb? And is what's in the womb part of the woman's body? Secondly, what does nature compel us to see? And thirdly, what does the Bible say about it? So, you can reject the Bible. Many people don't accept the Bible as the Word of God, and they may reject that part of it. But through nature and science, we should be able to come to some consensus. Is that a human being, and is it part of the woman's body? So, let's start with some... Uh, terms that we're going to be dealing with. The first one is when the sperm and the egg unite, within that sperm penetrating the egg, it creates a zygote, all right? And that is the one cell that begins to multiply and begins to uh, continue to multiply into that human being. This takes place in one to five weeks, we call that a zygote, where the cells are multiplying within the first five weeks. Most women do not know they're pregnant, although pregnancy tests are happening sooner and sooner, you can tell, but most women don't even discover to take a test till their fifth week. And at that point, we've got an embryo. But I want to come to the issue concerning that zygote, that first one to five weeks, where many people are saying it's just a clump of cells. It's not human. But I want you to know something. A baby is never just a clump of cells. What kind of cells are these? They're human cells. And what's unique about human cells? 
there are 11 distinct types of cells being formed in that baby from conception. These aren't a random mass or a clump of cells. These are very dis distinguishable types of cells from stem cells, bone cells, blood cells, muscle cells, fat cells, skin cells, nerve cells, uh, endothelian cells, sex cells, pancreatic cells, cancer cells. All these cells are happening. They have a distinct form, function, and order that's taking place in this little baby. It's not a clump of cells. It is a distinct order of cell and cellular multiplication so that this child is developing within the first five weeks. Science tells us this. Then we move into the embryo. Most find themselves pregnant at five weeks. At this point, you've got embryonic. This is a nine-week-old infant, and so embryo. So at five weeks, what's happening? This is the most critical time of development between the fifth to tenth week in a little baby. Five to ten weeks. Number one, brain development, spine development. In the fifth week, the heart begins to beat. That's been an issue that when it's a heartbeat, we believe it's a human being. We would believe, according to Scripture, it's a human being from day one. Uh, fingers and toes are developed, lungs are developed, an inner ear is developed, muscles for the mouth, nose, and eyes are developed. Most abortions occur at or before 13 weeks. And so this picture is a baby at nine weeks, all right? And so an abortion would eliminate that life. Again, what, what is happening for so many, especially with science and technology, we can actually see these developments where before it was a mystery for most and they would again say it's just a clump of cells, it's just a mass, it's not a baby, it's not a person. So we give it different scientific names, embryo, fetus, zygote, it all means baby. It means human being. Now, let's go on. During the 10 weeks, to the 10 to 12th week, eyelids, fingernails, cartilage, liver, genitals, urine in the kidneys, and insulin in the pancreas. This baby, this human being, is developing. It's a fetus now, and during the 13th to 28th week, Skin, hair, fat, a complete skeletal system, blood cells, bone marrow, taste buds, fingerprints, footprints, hearing, sucking reflex, and a nervous system is developed within that baby. Abortion is legal through all of this. And so, I mean, consider fingerprints. Those fingerprints are for that child and no other human being. It's a unique identity. So what is the science that tells us whether this is a child or not? A United States Senate Judiciary Subcommittee had expert testify on when life began. They gathered as many scientists as they could. Pro-abortionists invited to do so 
failed to produce even a single expert witness who would specifically testify that life begins at any point other than conception or implantation. Only one witness said no one can tell when life begins. So the pro-abortion side could not offer any scientist or medical documentation that would be contrary to the idea that life begins at conception. Scientists that testified at that Senate hearing said this, this organism is a whole. Though in the beginning developmentally immature, it is a whole member of the human species. This is human life at every stage. This is scientifically established from the moment of conception, those unique cells, that is a person. And this is scientifically proven. What about nature? What happens in nature concerning this woman? Number one, the name woman, woman, the, is, comes from the name for Eve, the bearer of life, the life giver. Immediately, once a woman conceives, her entire bodily system goes into a functioning mode to give and sustain life. The fetal maternal immune tolerance. This is interesting. If we were going to put a transplant in your body, your body would immediately work to reject it. You therefore have to take blockers so that you can accept another tissue or another organ. If you have an infection, your white blood cells and everything within your body is going to work against that infection and that invasion of your body to kill it. When a woman conceives and is pregnant, all of those systems are shut off so that her body can protect and receive that life. That's what nature does. Maternal immunization. This is interesting. The body begins to produce immunization where the placenta, the umbilical cord, the amniotic sac, and the muscles and bones all begin to protect that life. In nature, when a woman becomes pregnant, everything in her body is designed and is fighting to protect that life. The placenta provides food and oxygen and protects the baby against bacteria and infection. The placenta pumps the antibodies from the mother to the fetus. You can end up with an even higher concentration of immune protection in the baby than in the mother. The umbilical cord protects the baby's blood vessels. A mucus plug seals the womb and stops any infection from infiltrating the amniotic sac protects the baby from germs and the amniotic fluid keeps your baby cool and protected from pressures outside the womb. Abdominal muscles offer extra support and installation and the pubic bone and spinal column provide the baby with a harder protection on either side. Nature is doing everything to protect that baby, despite how she became pregnant or why she became pregnant, once this happens, the body is doing everything for life. 
it's important to understand the distinction and characteristics of a human being in nature. Number one, this child has its own distinct DNA and a body distinct and separate from the mother. So this is a, a separate human being from the one who's carrying it. Secondly, it's its own life. The unborn meets the biological criteria for life. Thirdly, it's human, human genetic signature. It's not a fish that becomes a pig that becomes a human. It is a human being from conception with its own unique DNA and imprinting. Organism, not an, it's not an organ. It's not a tissue that becomes human. It's human from day one. Distinct and separate from the mother. Science confirms that the child within the womb is in no way a biological part of her body. The womb is merely an incubation chamber in the mother for the development of a completely separate person with its unique DNA, unique blood type, and unique gender. The woman could carry a male or a female. The woman can carry a person that has a completely different blood type than the mother and a completely different DNA. It is not her body. What does the Bible say? From a biblical viewpoint, life begins at conception. Number one, the Bible tells us that God opens and closes the womb. Number two, God creates every individual regardless of the natural process by which that child was conceived. Number three, God has a purpose for every person who is born into the world. Do you believe that? Four, God's purpose is established from before conception. I knew you in your mother's womb, and he says that Jeremiah he had promised him. Five, God regards an unborn child as a person with all the rights of another person, according to the law of God. So let's take a look at the reasons to justify abortion. Remember we said, we get it, if, if it's the government telling you what to do with your body, and if it's not a human life. I think science, nature, and the Bible clearly indicate to us that this is a human being from conception and that it is not a part of the woman's body, though it is held within her body. Here's one of the couple of the reasons that people say abortion should be allowed. Number one is rape or incest. What a horrible situation to be in. We cannot speak light of it. It's very difficult. I couldn't imagine carrying a child from someone who forcibly raped you or incestually. That is horrific. That is so difficult. But the statistics and science show that less than 0.03% of abortions occur in the case of rape. Many times, because of the violence, there is not conception. The argument for the pro-life people is, what a horrible thing to have happened, yet this child is still a human being with life, existence, and a future to destroy that child because of how it was conceived is not fair to that child. Two wrongs don't make a right. Secondly, 
the potential death of the mother. That is a true situation. It's always been understood to protect the life of the mother if, this, if giving birth would destroy the mother's life. But this is actually occurring less and less with the rise of more modern medicine. They're actually doing organ transplants in fetuses while they're within the mother. They're doing brain surgery on fetuses that are within the mother. I mean, the technology to help in that situation. Number three, potential birth defects. The quality of life argument that this child may be deformed. This child may uh, have some birth defect or mental defect. Is that enough to kill that child and to kill a life? Because if you give a right to kill a baby in the womb for a birth defect, you get on the slippery slope of... uh, euthanasia and killing those who may not have the quality of life that you deem reasonable. Last of all, unwanted pregnancy. It's just that they don't want to be pregnant. They weren't expecting it. They didn't want that to happen. And they can't handle giving birth to this child. What are they going to do with it? 95% of all abortions are based on that reasoning just not ready for a baby. Again, the first step of prevention is understanding sexual intercourse creates babies. That's the first place. Abortion should not be used as birth control. This is a human life. And if you grasp and understand this is a human life, it would not be so easy to destroy them. What are options for someone who's pregnant and doesn't want the child? Number one, to give birth and raise the child. But they may be raised in poverty. That's a very popular uh, argument. They may be raised in a broken home. Well, being raised in poverty is, is, is not that... Uh, far from most people in the world, Uh, and a broken home, many people. Does that mean that you should allow murder? If we believe that this is a human life, taking that life is murder. So should we allow murder because of an economic status? That's dangerous. Secondly, you can give birth and allow a family member to raise the child. This was normal procedure for many years ago. Thirdly, adoption. There are many people who cannot get pregnant, many people who do not have children, and would love to adopt a child. It might be a little inconvenience. Well, and I'm not trying to make light. It may be a huge inconvenience. It may be so difficult to go to nine months. But to release that child to life and to live will be a blessing as opposed to killing the baby. Let me give you an anecdote. Let me give you an idea. Should this woman have had an abortion? It was her fifth child. Her husband has syphilis. She has tuberculosis. The first child she had was born blind. The second child she had died. The third child she had was born deaf. Their fourth child had tuberculosis, and now she's pregnant with a fifth. Today, many would say, 
you need to end that pregnancy. If that were the case, we would have not had Ludwig van Beethoven. I wonder how many, how many children were aborted that could have impacted our world and our culture. Now, for me, it's a personal story. When my mother, my mother had two children, my sister and my brother, and then she had to have open heart surgery in 1959. Open heart surgery was not a common thing in 1959. She had it, she had a hole in her heart. She had it, it was successful, and she was recovering. And in recovery, she got pregnant. All the doctors said, we don't believe that you're going to survive. We highly recommend that you have an abortion. And uh, they put a lot of pressure on her. But because of her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, she trusted God and said, no, I'll not have an abortion. And so I'm here because I wasn't aborted. So praise God. So that's a personal story for me. I was intended to be aborted. And again, how many could we imagine could have impacted this world? I'd like to play a video for you. And I'd like you to listen to it so that you can understand why we're talking about this and how huge of an issue it is. This goes back to Genesis Chapters 1 through 11, these are key passages that tell us the divine order of life. And abortion is an attack on the design of God and His creation, as is most of these issues we're going to discuss. But please, listen to this. Right where you are, I just want you to, right there in your seats, just shut your eyes. What you're about to hear are the sounds of metal BB striking the side of a tin can. For every BB that strikes, it represents 10,000 lives lost in the wars of America's past. 10,000 lives for every BB. This is the reality of what is occurring in your country. The American Revolution the Civil War, World War I, World War II, the Korean Conflict, the Conflict in Vietnam, September 11th and the War on Terror. Since 1973, the war on the
God help us. not a clump of cells, it's a human life. This is why we're saying abortion is killing the most innocent and fragile part of human society. And if we're not protecting human life here, we'll have a disregard for it in other dimensions. We as the church have got to speak to the sanctity of life and the purpose of life. So what gives value to this baby? The intrinsic value of the baby? That they're human. Or does the value of that baby depend on what value the mother gives it? That's a dangerous thing. Or is the value of that baby based on what the culture says the value of that child is? God determined a long time ago that every human life is formed in His image. And the baby speaks of the value of life. And we're to treasure it. Amen. So, let's have some discussion, some conversation. This may not be easy for me to say in front of all my church people, but um, I made a mistake back in the 80s when I was married, going to Bible college. I was engaged, and I got pregnant. And um, back then it was uh, not like it is today. My Christian mom, I was raised in a Christian home, tried to talk me into getting an abortion. If it wasn't for Joshua's dad being a stronger voice than my mom, I might have had that abortion. But he said, no, Sandy, we can't do that. We have to take responsibility for what happened. And he said, I had two sisters that got abortions, and I see the pain that they went through. He said, we have to take responsibility. And I have a 34-year-old son and two granddaughters. So we can look at everything that you just so eloquently taught, right? And I feel like in many situations, we could, we could tell people all of those things. But in a lot of cases, they don't want to see it. Right. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to accept it. What do you do then? There's a question on the floor. Let's talk about it. it because there are so many reasons. It could, it could be every kind. But it seems to me that we need to know where that person is coming from. Because if we know where they're coming from, if we know why they're believing what they're believing, then we can use any one of these things to share with them it's the only way that, uh, that our empathy would be 
would be shown in, in love to them. Otherwise, they may never change their minds. It, it's, 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 there's something going on. You know, it could be no education whatsoever on this subject. It could be uh, someone that doesn't want them anymore uh, or never did, or could, they could be a victim or uh, any of those things that were mentioned. But if we don't know where that one person is coming from or why they believe what they do, then we can't find that way in. And, you know, that's, that's how I see it. But I, I do have a testimony, though. I might as well give it right now. Um, because I was raped and, uh, and because of trauma, believed that I was pregnant, um, I had a friend who had had a couple of abortions, a friend, an acquaintance, and um, she says, oh, and I, I don't mean to offend, but she said, Susie, the Catholic Church forgives everything. All you have to do is go talk to Father so-and-so. I won't say his name. Famous, famous priest. And you'll be forgiven. And I was just out of my mind with, with uh, just uh, pain and pain. And so I went to an abortion clinic. And I says, uh, at that, at that time, I don't know if you would recall, some of you who are older like myself, they, they, they would test the rabbit. You know, if the rabbit mm -hmm. died, you were pregnant. Or maybe it's the other way, but anyway. So they, they, they did the thing, and, and I'm waiting to hear what's happening. And I go into the ladies' room, and now I'm just lamenting on the floor. Oh, God. Oh, God, I can't. I can't, I can't, but I end up screaming and all over the floor. The door swings open just like a prison door, if you've ever visited a prisoner <laughs> or the jail. This metal door, boom! You can hear the metal when it hits the wall. And the woman says, Susan, you can go now. You're not pregnant. Mm. So, in time... I was in a relationship for a couple years in between marriages, and um, and uh, I did get pregnant. And the father, he said, "No, no way." Okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll be fine. I'll, I'll, you know, I have family. I'm, I'll, I can make it. When I went to the doctor for the examination because I needed to be sure, the first thing they asked me was, "Did I plan to keep it?" I just, I just, I was, I, I couldn't believe that the main concern of this doctor was whether or not I wanted to keep it. I said, of course I want to keep it. Yes, I want to keep it. Yes, I'm going to love this baby. And, and I always tell young ladies when they're first pregnant, wait till you see that baby's eyes looking at your face into your eyes. It's, there's nothing, nothing like it. That's God. That's experiencing God. And carrying the baby, is ex for me, was experiencing God. And I felt like there was nothing I couldn't do. And that I never, I never had a need because God would show up. He would show up. Show up with this. Show up with that. This person. That person. Oh, praise God.
I, I had uh, severe endometriosis. I don't know if you know what that is, but it causes a lot of problems. So it makes me absolutely sick because they told me when I got married at 20, I may have to have a hysterectomy. Mm. Thank God, you know, God, God is, the, is the healer, and I didn't. And it just, some, so many of my friends were having abortions. I had to go on medication to get pregnant. Now I have, you know, two sons and four grandchildren, but it just makes me sick, the people that have abortions. And the Christian friends and family of mine, they think it's okay. And now I'm wondering, do they believe it's not a baby? I don't know. So maybe we need to equip ourselves with those Bible verses and things to tell them it is a baby. Because I, I don't understand how you can be a Christian and think that it's okay. I just, it just blows my mind. And then the, the uh, partial birth abortions, it just, I mean, they can, they can have abortions all the way up. How could you not think that's a child and that that's okay? So it's just, it's, I think a lot of it is inconvenience. And they don't want to think that it's a baby because if they hurry up and get it done, it's not a baby in their eyes. That's the only thing I can think of why they would do that. I just wanted to give a little uh, reminder about judgmental on this topic. Um, I moved down to North Carolina when I was young after I graduated high school and I met a girl through some friends, asked her out to lunch and the second time having met her over lunch at a Chick-fil-A, she uh, confided in me and, and told me that she was over in Spain on six month uh, teacher after graduating um, high school teaching English over there before starting college and she was raped and had an abortion and when she came back after that experience she couldn't tell any of her friends or anyone at church because of all the judgmentalness and so she's in Chick-fil-A crying her eyes out because she couldn't tell anybody. Years ago, a really dear friend of mine did have an abortion, and um, she wasn't a Christian at the time, and then confided in me that she felt this overwhelming guilt. And as I prayed for her, I took a couple of weeks to really pray and listen to what the Lord told me to do, and I, I felt like she needed to write that baby a letter and apologize. And I, I told her that. I go, I don't care if you want to burn it afterwards, but I said, you need to get that out on paper. And um, that's what God directed me to tell her. And she said that was so healing to her, just to write it down, talk to the baby, apologize, explain the circumstances that she were, was in. And she said that just really lifted her um, guilt, helped with yeah. that. That's good. I was just going to say that it was one of the most difficult times in my life to be, you know, um, even though I had the baby, I still felt like I had to hide things and I still felt under very much condemnation in, in the church. So I think we have to be very, very careful um, not to judge women that get pregnant you know, before they're married or what, we still have to show that love. And I don't think we've always approached that in the right way. It was a very hard time for me. It was very, very hard. And I felt like my mom doing that, I felt like I was embarrassing her. Mm. And so embarrassing them, you know, and so 
I was a, my personality is a very influential. So I was very glad that Kevin had a, a very bigger voice, you know, and so, you know, it, it's, it probably is too for that person making that decision who has, who has the loudest voice, who are they gonna listen to? Good. I'm going to have to dig some dirt up for this one, but when my wife and I, my ex-wife and I met, um, we were living a very sinful lifestyle. Um, I was DJing at a strip club, and she was a dancer at the strip club. We, um, when we got together, um, she had told me, she said, listen, I, just so you know, I've had several abortions in the past, and I can't have kids. So the doctors told me it's impossible for me to, and believe me, it was impossible because if you can imagine, we were not living the holiest of lifestyles and she could not have kids. So we, we got saved, you know, and then we decided, you know, we're not going to have sex anymore until we get married. So, you know, we lived in Detroit in this bungalow. We had a bedroom upstairs. Well, we, we had two couches downstairs and she would sleep on one and I would sleep on the other until we got married, you know, we got engaged. So, um, you know, we slipped up like twice and we felt so guilty about it. We, you know, we couldn't repent enough. And so after we got married, the, the day after we got married, nine months to the day later, we had a daughter <laughs> right here. So, so God, God honored that, that we decided, you know, and he forgave us, opened her womb back up and we had... Hannah, and then a year later we had another daughter. Let's, uh, let's talk about this issue in the church. How do we deal with sin? The, the, the way this plays out, what's difficult is, one mindset is, if we're soft on sin, we're going to be promoting sin. So we shouldn't be soft on sin and accepting of people's sinful behavior. But how does that play out if you're condemning people's sinful behavior? And rightfully so, the Bible condemns sin, right? So do you go the other way and say, let's not say anything, let's, let's you know... Let's, in fact, maybe it's not a sin. And that's a whole other portion of the church that's eliminated sex before marriage as a sin. That's just a life choice. Uh, abortion, that's a life choice. Homosexuality, that's a life choice. Jesus is loving. He wants us to love everyone. So we've got these two divisions, don't we? And there's enough stories of people who have felt condemned and judged by the church because they were hard on sin. And then we've got another bunch of people who are over here doing whatever they want, and by doing whatever they want, it's a hard life. And it creates more problems than it's worth because Jesus delivered us from sin, but they're abiding in it. That's what we see in the church today, don't you think? We've got to find that balance. What are your thoughts on how to get a balance on that?
I'm going to try to make this really short. Um, this is a testimony. When I was in Cuba, um, we went to this, uh, this young woman's house with our interpreter and, and the, the woman that I was visiting, her, her friend, her church friend. She didn't go to church yet. She, she hadn't, I, no one had really shared the gospel with her. And that's why we were there. When we came into her house, she was in a back room and everything was dark and she had um, said she was sick. And the reason she was sick is she had taken a pill to abort her child. And, um, and we were there. It, this was our moment. This was our, our time to share the, the gospel with her. And so as I was sharing the gospel with her, she said, I, I um, you know, at the end when the, when the uh, invitation was given, she turned her face to the wall and she said, I can't come to Jesus because I'm, I've sinned so badly and I, I'm, I took a pill to abort this baby. I'm here asking us as Christians what we do. Something like this happens. So, and her, hus her husband was in the other room listening from the outside on, on the wall. And I said, uh, I said, let me tell you something. God loves you more than anything. Just, he just really, really loves you. That's why he sent me here. That's why I'm at this house. I came all the way from America to talk to you about how much he loves you. And I said, yes, you, you, took, you took that pill to have this baby aborted, but I said, you know, we're going to pray. We're going to pray that you can keep this baby. But I said, if you don't, God's still going to love you. He's still going to love you, and he's, he loves that little baby because it's a baby. And uh, we were getting, getting ready to go, and we had gotten up. And um, I just felt like I couldn't leave because there was something more to say to her. And I said, let me tell you a story about what happened in the Bible. I said, You're, there, was a, there was a woman that was um, caught in the very act of adultery. And she was brought before Jesus. I said, religious people did this. They brought her before Jesus and they cast her at his feet. And they said, this woman should be stoned because she was caught in the very act of adultery. And I said, you know what God did, what Jesus did? He said, whichever one of you have not sinned, then you cast the, you cast the stone. And they dropped their stones and walked away. And he looked at her and said, where's your accusers? And she said, I don't have any. And he said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So it's up to us to let them know what they've done is wrong, but also that there's forgiveness for it. 
And let me tell you the, the biggest, the greatest thing about this story. After she gave her heart to the Lord and we walked out and we were going away, her friend said she was caught in the very act of adultery. And her husband that was listening in the other room was the reason why she had that, taken that pill. You see how many people were involved in that? Wow. The husband, the woman that was caught in adultery, and the woman that was aborting that baby, and everybody that was listening to the story could not deny at what lengths God will go to redeem someone. Amen. They cared that much. That's, you know, when we're talking about abortion, what should we do? We should forgive them and let them know that God forgives them. And then he cares for her, her and that baby. I, I think of it as a lot of it is kind of like your own kids. You know, your kids don't know any better. They do things, and you have to discipline them, but you still love them, and you let them know, you know, that you're going to be there for them, too, because sometimes it's a matter of having somebody walk you through it because there's a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, and the enemy bombards our brains all the time with the guilt and the shame. Sometimes you feel guilt for doing it. You feel guilt for not doing it. It depending on what side of the fence you're on and who you're listening to, and you just need to be a parent and come along and just love them as your, your own kids. And when we help people out of their pain and suffering, then we can help them, like you said, process the issue of the sin, process the healing. And so many times people will confess when they trust you. But if we're to just put a steel plate up against them and say, that was so wrong of you and you're a bad person, repent. Um, they've probably already known those things. And so we need to get them to embrace the cross, which is the love of Jesus. Amen? Let me also make a point. There is a difference as Christians between taking a political stand and dealing with individuals. Okay? With individuals, we have empathy, we care, we listen, and so forth. If we have to make a stand because some of a political move or a bill or an agenda that soft part, that empathetic, doesn't get heard. So I'm just trying to help you understand when do I stand strong is when it is in a, a public arena, when it is a political decision of rights and so forth, you have to make a solid, hard stand. Why? When it's the individual's you're patient, you work with them, and you develop. Do you understand the difference? Yes. It's very important to understand that. God bless you all. Greet one another in the love of Christ. Amen. Thank you.